Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taporek. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to episode 27 of Crack the Customer Code. Today we're talking about how customer experience is possibly following the path of marketing. And one of our favorite authors, Anne Hanley, is joining us to talk about why everybody writes. <laughs> and we've got a customer hero story about an auto dealership that is what? <sighs> <laughs> selling cars without all the sales games and earning customers through transparency. I'm going to have to be convinced. <laughs> All right. Well, I am excited to tell you about Be Your Customer's Hero. The book has been out for a little bit and it is getting a great response. It is a one-stop training guide for anyone who works with customers. It covers customer service from beginning to end and you will learn some of my favorite tips and tricks for winning the mental game of service, communicating in ways that set you up for success and, of course, difficult customers. So to learn more and get your copy, go to BeYourCustomersHero.com. That is BeYourCustomersHero.com. You did a great job with the book. I highly recommend it. Gracias, senora. <laughs> Sponsoring our show is a great way to reach business leaders and customer experience professionals. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help you get your message out. Go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details. Adam, do you think customer experience is like marketing? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> That's probably about the most accurate answer you can give. <laughs> what pray tell do you mean? Well, I think one thing that's happening is that customer experience is kind of following the same path within organizations and organizational structure that happened with marketing. And what I mean by that is there was a time not that long ago in our business history <laughs> when certain companies, they might not have even had a chief marketing officer. They might have just had the marketing guy or the marketing gal, but back then it was probably a guy, let's face it. And, yes. <laughs> and when that started becoming too big of a job because it started splintering, uh, that's when you started getting marketing teams. And now you've got people who are really specialized in these roles because you've got digital marketing and direct marketing and marketing analytics and marketing research and all of these different th ways to kind of slice and dice that bigger umbrella of marketing. And I think that same thing might be happening in customer experience. Well, I think it absolutely is. And one of the things that's just probably what happens when a profession gets developed. Mm -hmm. But it's also the nature of the profession because there's so many different ways to approach customer experience. For instance, there's the technical side. You know, mm -hmm. we see all this different type of very specialized software around CRM systems, around journey mapping, around all these types of endeavors. And if you look at the accounting industry, the legal professions or the accounting profession, the legal profession, you know, they all have so many specialties now. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the natural trend. Yeah, I, I th I'm not sure if it's totally a natural trend or if it's just that we start making things a lot more complicated <laughs> in some ways. And so once you start down one of those paths, it's really hard to kind of put that genie back in the bottle. I would agree with that, but I would also, I mean, I think that is the natural path, though, is we, right. that's what we do as humans. We make it more complicated <laughs> we, uh, yeah. and we try to find niches. So if you have, everybody's a chief, you know, the CXO, mm -hmm. right? Well, 
I want my little niche. You know, that's already been established. There, there are already people at the top of that game. So right. now I'm the CXO who specializes in the auto industry, mm-hmm. or I'm the CXO who specializes in this. And now I'm the guy that, you know, delivers the software that enables CXOs to manage their organizations. So I think well, it's going to, that's always going to happen. Yeah. And, and maybe, but I think it's, it's really interesting right now to see what specialties are actually being developed. Because the, uh, the flip side of this is that as companies start looking around and realizing, oh, we do need a leader for our customer experience initiatives, and we do need a chief experience officer, a chief customer officer, or even just a VP of customer experience, those job descriptions are crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they include basically 10 different specialties, and they're trying to get it in one person right now. And so I think there's a little bit of a cautionary tale of like, be careful what you wish for, because by putting all of that in one job description, you're actually creating a department. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> become aware. And then to your point, like the more narrowly we can start defining what we offer, the more we can figure out the best value to bring. And like when I started my company in 2009, I made a very conscious decision that, you know, I did not love the quantitative part of it. That's not my strength. There are people out there who do great work around quantitative research. Right. I rely on them and they rely on me because then we bring that very human side, very qualitative side to things and making that separation and saying we're not a one-stop shop necessarily. Like we are who we are. That actually was really, really helpful. And I think that we provide more value that way. So I hope that other folks start realizing that some of these specialties really do need to be specialties and the unicorn of this magic customer experience leader, (laughs) Right, they might not be out there. Well, I think that's the positive message, though, is that all of this is happening. That's a signal that we have arrived or, you know, customer mm-hmm. service and customer experience has arrived. Right. And, we, you know, we had Mark Schaefer on talking about content and how broad and ubiquitous it is. And everybody's trying to carve out their little niche, mm-hmm. you know, and I think so. And we're going to have Ann Hanley on in just a few seconds. Yes. And, you know, she talks about everybody. Right. So the more people are into customer experience and the more people are doing customer service, the more we're going to find people you know, picking these narrower lanes. Right. And mine's pretty narrow. Yours is super narrow. And by design, that's not <laughs> right. a, and that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. Right. Right. Well, you and- are the micro interaction expert. I know no one who knows more <laughs> about it than you. Well, thank you. I know a lot about little things. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Anne Hanley. Anne is a Wall Street Journal best-selling author, keynote speaker, and the world's first chief content officer. Anne speaks and writes about how you can rethink the way your business markets. Cited in Forbes as the most influential woman in social media, and recognized by Forbes Woman as one of the top 20 women bloggers. Anne Hanley is the chief content officer of Marketing Profs, a training and education company with the largest community of marketers in its category and a fabulous resource, if I do say so myself, for anybody who is working at all in this space. So thank you so much for being here, Anne. Thank you for having me, Jeannie. I'm really, really happy to be talking to you today. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Anne. And, you know, your bio is all fine and good, and I'm glad to give you those credentials. But my favorite part, of course, is how you and I met in person for the first time. (laughs) I know. I still talk about that story. (laughs) So a little background. You and I were connected online for, I think, a couple years by this point and through Twitter and everything else. And it was probably four years ago at South by Southwest, I want to say, that I was in a pedicab and I looked over and you were in another pedicab. (laughs) <laughs> and I yelled, hey, you're Ann Hanley. <laughs> and you didn't deny it. 
<laughs> I know that was the that was the best moment. <laughs> That's the beauty of events, and you know, of South by Southwest in particular, where you know you just you just never know who you're going to run into, and it's just such I don't know, it's such an exciting experience. And uh, my friend Scott Scott Monty calls it a preunion. You know, ah. when, you, when you meet people who you only knew online, and it does feel like you kind of know them, so it's yeah. not a reunion; it's a preunion. Um, I think that's just a fantastic way. So I think I use that to talk about pre-union all the time because it was such a great moment. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and our poor pedicab bicycle drivers, you know, because yeah. we were like dodging in and out and yelling back and forth to each other. But it was great. So, yes, I, yeah, yes. I love I think that. that was, it was either four or five years ago. But, yeah, I'm, yeah, Contact Your Rules had just come out. And I think it was C.C. Chapman and That's I were right. in the same pedicab, right? That's right. I think I yelled, you're C.C. Chapman right after that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went, but up and we're... <laughs> that's right exactly <laughs> oh and that was a great book and now you have another book called everybody writes which is I do. fabulous yeah. and i'm a big fan um one of the points you make very early in that book is that everybody today really does have to write so i'm curious how do you see this skill as necessary for anyone in business yeah well i mean i i think it's just like it saying that everybody has to speak, you know, everybody has to communicate Yeah, on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on Twitter, you know, we're communicating largely through the words that we use. And that's true of us as individuals and also as organizations, as, as businesses. Um, and so I really wrote everybody writes to do two things. First of all, empower people who feel that they are not good writers, because I think anybody is capable of of good writing. Mm -hmm. You just need to have the right mindset and, and be aware of some, some, um, or, and get some general skills in that area. And the second reason why I wrote it is because I, it was almost a call to arms, you know, to organizations and, and businesses out there to just, you know, create better stuff, you know, really <laughs> take the words that you're using and respect them, you know, mm -hmm. respect the messages that we're sending out to our customers and our prospects and the people <laughs> that we're trying to communicate with. And so, you know, it was partly born out of, a, you know, a frustration and a call to arms to, you know, quit the mediocre content and let's mm -hmm. up our content game. And then secondly, you know, to sort of address this other issue out there, because um, one of the things that I realized as I was researching the book is that people tend to have a very complicated relationship with writing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they either self-identify as not being a writer and it's usually based on, um, if you scratch it, it a little bit, it's usually based on um, some sort of childhood trauma that they suffered, uh, you know, at the hands of a, a teacher or an adult, well-meaning or not, who mm -hmm. told them that they, they, were never, they weren't a good writer. Um, or they're overconfident as writers. And it's just like, you know, they're, they're almost, um, they almost puff themselves up too much mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, they're not thinking about their audience. They're only thinking about what they want to say. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going on, you know? Yeah, I, I hear that. And actually I wrote a, a review for your book and I remember sitting there with the book next to me because mm -hmm. I was like, what if I break one of the rules when I'm writing a review about a book about writing? <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny that you say that because people say that to me all the time. Like they'll, they'll send an email to me and then I'll get like a PS. This makes me nervous writing to you. <laughs> or, um, or like I get it a lot for, um, there's like 90 people who have reviewed the, the book on, um, on Amazon. 
And a lot of times I'll get a note from somebody and, and they'll say something like, you know, was that okay? And <laughs> you know, it's like, I am really the least judgy person when it comes to that stuff only because, you know, it's like, I don't think about, you know, grammar and spelling mm-hmm. first. I think about what are you trying to say? Is it authentic? You know, mm-hmm. I know that's one of those squishy words that we use a lot, but is it truly you? You know, is it communicating well what you're trying to say? So I think about it as less rules than, than really guidelines for communicating better. Um, so it's well funny. I, I, th- I do think a lot of people have anxiety about stuff like that. <laughs> and I probably, I don't know. I try <laughs> to, we just I want try. you to replace those childhood traumas for us. <laughs> I, I know. It's like people are bent on having some sort of trauma. Like, no, no, I am not the source. <laughs> well, sometimes you can be your own source. I had that just the other day. I did, had a typo in one of my e-blasts and the next e-blast was about the typo. So I had, I had to like, I had to proof that thing like 20 times because like, I like, I can't have a typo in an email about a typo. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, okay. That's its own special kind of yes. issue. That's very meta in a way. It is, yeah. it is. It's very meta. So there is like so much content now. You know, you were sort of talking about people who don't see themselves as writers and see themselves as writers, but maybe have an overinflated sense of their capabilities. So take that a step further. What are some of your pet peeves you're seeing in all of this content that is flooding us now? Mm, So, I mean, a theme that I've been talking about lately is that we don't need more content. We need better, more relevant content. Um, And so I think, you know, really what that means is companies and individuals who are producing content without, um, you know, without any any structure, without any uh, strategy behind it. So rather than just, you know, barfing up content, I'd like, I'd like, I mean, my biggest pet peeve is just people who, who do that, who, ju- who do just that, just barf up content as opposed to, you know, really think through, does this make sense? You know, is this a quality piece of content that's going to work for my business? You know, the goal with content marketing is not to get good at content, right? It's to get good at content that drives business. And so, you know, my biggest thing is when I see stuff that feels very, uh, one-off or isn't connected in any way to anything else that an organization is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when they think about it as only marketing, you know, I talk about this in everybody writes, but I, I truly believe it more globally and generally too, that everything the like touches is content, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> everything that your company is doing, you know, not just on your marketing pages or on your blog, which is, you know, considered the domain of marketing, um, everything, you know, your product pages, your FAQ, your homepage, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the copy on your um, call to action buttons, you know, everything, everything that the light touches on your social channels, you know, every experience that you're giving the customer. So really think about what that through line is. What's the mission? What's the what's the bigger story that can knit all those things together? Well, maybe that's why you and I have always been so, you know, in sync, uh, mm-hmm. because I think that really overlaps with the entire customer experience. And, you know, we talk a lot, I, I talk a lot about those micro moments, those micro interactions, yes. like error messages, you know, right. like how those are written have a huge impact on the next step that somebody takes. Right. And yet, thought, yeah. and yet so often they were left to the programmers, you know, the, they were the ones doing the writing of those. So I, I love how you're, you're, you know, talking about that and preaching that gospel and, Marketing Profs in general is a favorite resource of mine, and you guys do such an amazing job providing really cutting-edge information about what's happening with marketing. And there have been so many changes with it in the last few years, especially. It's really hard to keep up. So I'm curious if you can look in your crystal ball for us 
and tell us what do you think are some of the biggest changes that might be ahead of us? You know, marketing has changed so much in the past. You know, I've been publishing content for marketers since, wow, let me think about this, 1997 when I co-founded uh, clickz.com. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, you know, God, 18 years later. Is that right? Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> crazy. I need to get out of this industry. Wow. Um, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> no. no. So here it is 18 years later, you know, and I mean, it's kind of funny, but you know, there is so much that's changed. We have so many new tools at our disposal, so many things that, that you know, we are able to do and, and so many ways to communicate with customers and so on. Um, but at the same time, you know, I still think that I'm still talking about a lot of those same fundamentals, you know, in, mm-hmm. um, in, I want to say 2000 or maybe it was 1999. I wrote an article on ClickZ at the time where I was chief content officer, um, about how to hire a site editor. I got a question on Twitter two days ago. Um, <laughs> and they asked me, how should I hire a content officer, <laughs> a chief content officer or a head of content or something like that? And I was, and I pulled out that article, which I've since updated once on marketing pros. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, it's the same stuff that we're talking about. It's just that the tools are different, mm-hmm. but the basics are still there, right? So let's find those people who really can, you know, know how to tell a story, who have a nose for uh, for business, you know, who really can connect with customers now using social, but back then it was, you know, through email and other ways of publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, in, in my mind, you know, yes, so much has changed, um, but yet a lot of things have stayed the same. So I don't know, like, where is it, where is it going? I mean, I think, I think, you know, from a marketing profs perspective, I can just talk about that for a second. Sure. Um, I see us getting much more into the education space. It's a, it's a shift that we've been doing for a pivot, maybe for the past, uh, I don't know, three years or so. And we're getting to the point now where we're doing lots and lots of different training programs for marketers, helping them stay up to speed on all the things that are changing. So things like using content and social media, um, you know, using SEO in a, in a smarter way, you know, get your, getting your arms around analytics. So all that kind of stuff is what we're training marketers about. So, mm-hmm. um, so I guess the short answer is saying, you know, for sure, just getting really, really uh, more effective at how we're using um, how we're using digital tools. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I guess think that I would add to that is that you know I can sort of envision a, a place where you know the marketing department is really empowered in so many different ways, but you probably are not are not going to have marketing generalists anymore. You know, I just don't think that as a marketer these these days, you know, you can be good at many many things. I think you've got to focus on one or two things that you're super good at. So the marketing team then is comprised of lots of people or, you know, however many your resources and budget um, needs and can support who, you know, may have specialties in, in certain areas. But I think that the era of the marketing journalist is is done. That's funny because we were just talking about we that. We were just talking about that. <laughs> oh, were you? Yep. Well, so it's interesting. You're talking about the training and the education piece. I'm curious, where are you finding resistance? So, you know, the, the marketing people, where are they what messages are they not responding to? Are you having to sort of say, look, you've got to get this? Um, I mean, crazy enough, I still think that there are companies who have been, who, who don't think that they need to embrace things like social and content as a cornerstone of what they're doing. They still see it as bolted on and not as I see it, which is, you know, the heart and, and, and um, the heart and, and almost central nervous system of everything that marketing should be doing. So I think there's a little bit of resistance there. 
um, a lot of times it just has to be, has to do with legacy, you know, um, an old school industry like healthcare, for example, you know, they've traditionally done a lot of advertising, a lot of outbound kind of stuff. It's really hard to convince those executives um, to now invest in quality content, you know, to, mm-hmm. to really shift what they're, they've been doing and, and think about inbound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that kind of thing is, is it's like a legacy issue. Yeah, I would totally support that as well. And uh, some of that has to do with even the language. You know, I, I've worked with property and casualty insurance companies and had to convince them not to literally say to the customer, the insured. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you can just say you. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I've been I've been talking a lot about that too. Just you know, and like we hear this all the time, right? Like mm-hmm. using human language. We've been talking about this for five years. You know, I talked about it in content rules five years ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, like like you were just saying, Jane, I still think I still think that that's you know that's like a legacy way of communicating mm-hmm. that just persists. Yeah. Well, if there was one thing that you could share to a business leader about how to communicate more effectively with employees, prospects, customers, and the rest of the world, you know, what, what is one thing that you think anybody could really take and run with? You know, I think something that's really undervalued by companies and it relates to what we were just talking about, you know, the insured versus you, um, is really thinking through your tone of voice Mm. that you're using to communicate with your customers on your website, on your social channels and, you know, and everything else, anywhere that you're communicating your newsletter and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the tone of voice is a, can be a real differentiator for a lot of companies. Um, and it's, it's fairly easy to get your arms around once you understand what it is, you know, a tone of voice is typically applied like in a, or I think people who aren't all that familiar with it are used to hearing it um, like more in a literary, in a literary context, but I think in a business context, really what that means is it really allows you to define who you are mm-hmm. and, you know, in a really significant way. And then, and then in turn, you know, figure out how we can use those attributes to then communicate with your customers. So, for example, you know, if you want to be warm and friendly, don't use words like the insured, right? <laughs> use words like you. Um, one of my favorite examples, just to, to make this feel a little more real, is Sprint Business. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Doug Kessler in, in the UK has a fantastic B2B marketing agency called Velocity UK. And he, they worked with Sprint Business to really use their tone of voice as a differentiator in the telecom industry, which, of course, isn't known for being a particularly, you know... <laughs> Ironically, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. I mean, most of them are are more in the in the, the insured camp, right? Yep, yep totally. <laughs> you know, ju- they're just not known for being particularly, you know, warm and friendly or, or, or to, ha- to do anything remarkable, I would say, you know, with, um, with marketing. So, um, but what I love about what Velocity did through their work with Sprint Business is that if you go to the Sprint Business homepage right now, um, you can see that it, it has this sort of uh, call to action on there that says, empower your weirdos. You know, it's not, they're not saying, um, you know, uh, give your, you know, arm your employees with the tools they need for success. Instead, they're saying, (laughs) you know, empower your weirdos. So it's such a great differentiator. And what they're saying is Sprint Business has the tools that you need to give your employees the communication tools that they need. Right. Right. And so empower your weirdos is just such a great way to say, like, you know, you hire unique people, you're an interesting company. 
You know, Mm -hmm. here's how we can partner with you to deliver better service. So, you know, and I'm just, I'm vastly oversimplifying. There's lots of things on that page that support that. It's not just coming out of left field where you go, Mm -hmm. how are your weirdos? What the heck does that mean? (laughs) It's in context. Um, But it's just, it's a, it's one example, I think, of how if you apply tone of voice smartly, you can really use it to differentiate. And this has nothing to do with technology or tools or budget. It has everything to do with just leaning into who you are and really using that as a differentiator. Well, thank you so much, Anne. And I'm just going to have to give you a personal thank you because I'm pretty sure all I'm going to hear now is every time we do a podcast recording that Jeannie's empowering her weirdo. <laughs> so I, I, I know where this is going already. Consider it done. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you so much. It's so great. And by the way, as somebody who has struggled to create a book title in the last 12 months, <laughs> your title is just brilliant. I, I appreciate a good title now. I really love it. And the information you gave today was great. So we really thank you so much for coming on. Oh, good. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I'm sure uh, this goes without saying because anybody could find you anywhere, but where are the best places somebody (laughs) could find you on the internet? So you can certainly find me at marketingprofs.com. But the more direct way to find me is probably through my personal website, which is at annhanley.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. And I can't wait until our pedicab paths cross again soon. (laughs) (laughs) Say that 10 times. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. You know, when you sent me this one, (laughs) I was a little bit skeptical. And I've had some very good and some very bad car dealership Uh. experiences. We actually have a customer hero. That's a whole new level. I mean, that, that's like, you know, getting the Academy Award. So we have a customer hero that is an auto dealer. It's true. There is a dealer, number one Cochrane Automotive out of Western Pennsylvania, and they are making waves for treating customers better by offering fair pricing and basically not keeping them at the dealership for 18 hours until they get your blood oath. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Well, that you know what? It's funny because we we're just talking about the deer hunter because you mentioned Western Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and there's that whole scene where there's the forced Russian roulette. Yeah. I think buying a car sometimes feels like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, this got dark really, really fast. This took a dark turn. <laughs> so tell me about number one Cochrane Automotive. So what's interesting is it started about 18 months ago. They decided to have a more customer centric initiative. And so they really looked at how can we make this better? And they realized that the the segment of the market that they cared about were the ones who didn't want to spend all day in there that wanted a fair price that wanted just a better experience. And when I heard that, I was like, well, duh, right? <laughs> like, What customers don't want that? But I think the culture of automotive sales has always been about the haggle and the haggle makes some customers feel like they're getting a discount when maybe they aren't. They also play all those games with, I don't know if I can do this. I better go talk to my manager, you know, and then they go and have a donut and come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's in the one thing I've always hated. I mean, whenever anybody said this to me, like it was just a credibility killer. Not that, you know, if we were already this far, there wasn't much credibility mm-hmm. to begin with. I'm not even making money on this. I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's like, come on. If you're I, not, know. I believe that. Not at all. Well, and I think they've done other things to really think about the actual experience of buying a car. And they're not, you know, necessarily like uh, Saturn used to be, which is like, this is the price. You pay the price. That's it. It was on every car. My first car was a Saturn for that reason, because I was in Las Vegas. I was I was a young woman in my 20s 
And I thought, if I go anywhere else in this town, I will, you know, not be able to hold my own there and get taken advantage of. So I decided to go to Saturn for that reason. So this is a little different because what they are doing is basically saying, yeah, there's going to be some negotiation based on features and such. But for the most part, they use all this third-party data. They have kiosks set up in the showroom so that you can check third-party sites as a consumer. You can look at reviews. You can say to them, like, hey, this dealer has it at this price. And what they do is they show you, like, this is why we came up with the price we came up with. And you might negotiate within a few hundred dollars for different features and things. But for the most part, you can walk in there confident that you're going to get a fair price. And every single number has shot up for them. Customer satisfaction, uh, you know, their actual uh, revenue and things like that. But my favorite one is that their employee turnover has gone way down. And so I think this tells you a lot about we don't want to do this. We don't want to play games. And so if we can remove that barrier, everybody's happier. So that's why they're a customer hero. Well, you know, because I like that concept. You know, I talked about that concept which is we're not at competition with the customers, but in the traditional car buying model, you are. Mm-hmm. And I had, we, we just had a pretty good experience, but years ago when we bought my wife's car, we had the worst experience. It was awful. So she was using every trick in the book. Only problem is I've been studying sales for 20 plus years. <laughs> so it's a zero, it was a 0% interest deal. And she goes to the financing and she goes, writes down a payment on there and goes, just initial there, just on a white piece of paper, just initial there if you can afford that payment. Oh. And I know exactly she's getting commitment. She's yep. loving all this. And I just, that was it, man. I, I, she had already been doing every dirty trick in the book. I mm-hmm. just, I was like, give me your manager. And we sat there. We were at that dealership for four hours. I read everything on every form. I was having them uh. initial stuff. I was writing. So that was up. I mean, yeah. it was, it, it was so bad and really put a bad taste because I don't like that. I know guys that like, you know, there's a small percentage of population that likes the game. You mm-hmm. know, they want to go haggle, but most people don't want to deal with that. Don't. I didn't want, I just want to go in, find something, you know, good and, I mean, people have a positive experience, right? It's a big purchase. People are buying cars off eBay, you know, and driving through several states to pick them up. That's how painful this experience (laughs) has been. (laughs) So I think the fact that this dealership, and they're a pretty big dealership, they have several different locations. They really looked at it and thought about, okay, what are, what's our end game here? You know, instead of being short term, let's look a little more long term at this and figure out how can we really make this better for everybody. And I think. The fact that they're having all these great things happen with their numbers, it tells you a lot about, you know, think differently and and treat people well. And it's amazing. Right. The money just falls from the sky. And look at how Car- <laughs> CarMax has done. And they've had that model mm-hmm. on, the, on used cars forever. And yep. it's really done well for them. Very cool. Well, I think this is it. <laughs> is this it? Are we done? Thanks for listening to episode 27 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360connect.com. And I'm Adam Tabor. My website is customersatstick.com. Find more episodes and all these show notes at crackthecustomercode.com. Please subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd love your comments in a review. Let us know what you like, what we could improve on, or who you'd like us to invest as a guest. And please tell someone you know we love word of mouth. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.